This is unstructured. Hello, this is Isaiah Gooley with a friendly reminder to join the Facebook group, the unstructured Facebook group, that is. If you join, you can talk to our illustrious host, Eric Hunley, about all the things that we talked about in this week's addendum. This week's addendum, speaking of, is off the walls, non-linear in any way, shape, or form, and circuitous. I feel like I didn't address the issues that I wanted to address in the way that I wanted to address them, and I'm sure Eric feels the same way. But it was fun. I hope you guys enjoy listening to this very rapid-fire and tangential episode of Unstructured Addendum. Thanks! Boom! Back with Isaiah for another episode of Addendum. What are we going to talk about today, Isaiah? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? How about you got um, pulled over recently in Arizona, and that's kind of spawned off because of our immigration issue, and we also kind of were leading into it with the labor talk. Well, I was I was complaining about that earlier to my uh, therapist. I have a therapist because I'm nice and fancy. Um, <laughs> no, but I was complaining about that because it really bothers me that I get have to go through a ostensibly a military checkpoint or a, a border control checkpoint several hundred miles within the borders of the United States when I'm a United States citizen. And then I am asked if the uh, federal agent, the armed federal agent can search my vehicle. That that bothers me. Right. Now, are you cool with it at the border itself? Yeah, if you're crossing the border, that's right. that's to be expected. Okay. I could I could totally see that. Isn't there possibly a constitutional issue with that too? There's definitely a constitutional issue. That's the 4th Amendment, man. They cannot search your your they cannot search your vehicle without probable cause. And there have been instances where the courts have reduced the uh, the cause for search below probable cause to reasonable suspicion. But for the most part, they have to have probable cause and a warrant to search your private property, which includes your vehicle. So now why are they doing that exactly? Why are they doing that? I don't know. Do we have a guess? My guess as to why they're searching searching vehicles on this side of the border is because it they really the federal government really cares about interdicting either illegal immigrants or contraband that they carry. Okay. So either people or drugs. Not necessarily drugs, but most likely drugs. Okay. Now, I, the one part that gives me pause is I think of the coyotes that, who leave um, people dying in the back of a semi in the desert. Okay, so so here's here's the thing about that. Why are people paying coyotes to cross the border? I would say because they are poorly informed. They are conned. Um, it's not only from Mexico. They call them coyotes coming from Mexico, but we have a raft of uh, Middle Eastern women who get pulled in here through white slavery. What? I, I, 
I'd what, roll that where, together too. Where is your Where is your source for Middle Eastern women crossing the southern border? Like, no, 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 no. Coming into the country. Coming. They're coming in on boats usually. Into the United States on boats. Yeah. From where? Boats or planes. Um, I've never Middle heard Eastern that. Country. I've never heard that. They do, and what the big deal is is they get it here and then they pull their passport. And once they have the passport, they have no real identity, and that's a lot of the white slavery. White slavery? Like, you haven't heard of that? No, I have no fucking clue what you're talking about. Okay, it's it's a prostitution problem. We probably should revisit it after you can look it up more, but it it is a, a very real deal, and it's happening here in the States. I have and, never heard about that ever once. And I'm, and I'm I, pretty plugged into the, to the sex worker human trafficking you know, uh, the rhetoric around that, but I've never heard Middle Eastern women being trafficked into the United States on boats or planes, having their passports being pulled within the United States and then being forced into sex slavery. I've never once heard that. Okay. Well, we'll revisit it. But like, how is that apropos of having checkpoints in the middle of uh, New Mexico? Well, I'm talking about, you were asking how do people trust a coyote or go to a coyote? Why? And I'm saying they're being conned the same way. That's, that's not the question that I was trying to ask though. Okay. Well, ask the question. The, the question, (laughs) the question that I was asking was more, um, more along the lines of why are people trying to cross the border and why, therefore, do they need coyotes to do so? Most would say they're crossing the border for opportunity. What would you say? I'd cross the border for opportunity. I don't know Mexico well. I've been there a few times, but I'm not deeply exposed. But what I have seen, objectively observing, at least near the border, it doesn't look as nice there. And why is it not as nice? Uh, corrupt society corrupt society but also perhaps because there there's a weak federal or a yeah weak central government and local control by drug cartels and drug cartels get money from what the drug the drug trade the illicit drug trade and why is there an illicit drug trade profit well of course but you don't have (laughs) to you don't have to trade an illicit material to make a profit why are they trading in illicit material? And why is it so profitable? I don't know. Tell me. I, I feel like you're leading me down a path. Some of it seems apparent. Drugs black market are, Black market commodities tend to have higher rate of return in relation to their risk than white market uh, commodities. So let's, sure. let's say I'm a farmer in, in Mexico and I could grow avocados. Avocados fetch a very good price you could get like twelve dollars per avocado but Mm -hmm. if i could get you know a thousand dollars for a kilo of marijuana what am i gonna spend my money growing well the 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 problems too are isn't it more middlemen because i've read that um the actual farmers are not making that much more for the crop it's the markup for the transporting where the real money is. Well, of course, but all those all those different different markups translate into a higher rate of return 
for everybody. Because if if I'm going to be if I'm a transporter, I'm going to want to transport what is going to gain me the highest profit. And mm -hmm. because of that, I'm driving a demand for this commodity versus another commodity. Yes, that's that's a given. That's why so, so that's legalization why, would and that's, cure half of the problem, or most of the problem. That would cure most of the problem within people wanting to leave Mexico to come to the United States. Especially yeah. when we're talking about cartels with the corruption and the violence that happens south of the border. Sure. I think that there are multiple issues involved. One, I really don't mind illegal immigration except for social services and things that may exist that can be drawn from. If we didn't have that, there really wouldn't be a worry. It'd just be a comp competition in the labor. See, I'm, I'm the other way around. I, I'm more worried about the competition in the labor because having a high amount of illegals means that they do not get the same have the same uh hurdles to jump as an american to to get the same job and because of that their price of labor is going to be lower so they overall not only do they flood the market with excess supply but their their quality of labor is going to be different because they don't have to get the certifications or they don't have to you know they ha don't have the ability to unionize. They don't have the same legal protections as an American citizen, as a worker. Mm -hmm. So because of that, a company would be incentivized to hire an illegal vice an American because the illegal has fewer rights mm -hmm. to demand for, from the employer. Like, there's not going to be a 401k uh, contribution match for an illegal versus an American typically right so it, it costs employers less generally to hire immigrants versus Americans regardless of whether they're even Ill illegal or uh, or legal so that's yeah, green card workers at Disneyland make a lot less money sure yeah and that, that's one facet and then the other facet is with uh, with the social services I mean why is that even an issue when we're talking about illegal immigrants who can't even apply for social services in the first place because they don't have any papers? Technically, one would think that, but um, there's medical treatment, for one. Okay, so that's a whole other issue. I, I support a single-payer, complete walk-into-a-hospital-don't-have-to-pay-anything type of health care system. Okay, then who's paying? See, I... I kind of lean on the approach of maybe it's more libertarian, but a consumption tax versus all the income taxes and things of that sort. And then whomever is coming in, you're at least pulling the money out of them when they spend their money locally. There already are local, there already are local consumption. Right. Tax. That's a local tax, but, but, but I'm talking about reversing it to where we're not doing right now. You're talking about labor. Okay. We're paying taxes on labor and then we're taxing the labor again. Correct? Are we? No, no, that's not, that's not what we're doing. We're taxing income. We're not taxing labor. Like a payroll tax isn't a tax on the employer. It's a tax on the employees. And then there's a corporate tax. Correct? Corporate tax is separate from that. And 
in reality, corporations do not end up paying taxes. Like Apple didn't pay any taxes in 2016 or 2017. Neither did Google, neither did IBM, neither did Intel. None of these companies pay taxes because they sh they're not American. They're multinational. So they'll headquarters in Ireland or Luxembourg and they'll shelter all their all their corporate profits through those places and pay zero effective tax in the United States. Right. Those and, and those are multi-billion dollar entities. Oh, sure. So so when you say a consumption tax, a consumption tax is going to be levied on people who spend money. And there, there is a ton of data to show that the more money you have, the less relative money you spend. Right? Mm -hmm. So if it... If I live, if you and I both live in Hampton, Virginia, you make a million dollars, I make a hundred thousand dollars, right? Mm -hmm. It costs us the same amount to live in Hampton, Virginia, say we're next door neighbors. So if we end up spending the same amount, amount of money on things, the person who has the lower amount of money is going to spend more on taxes than the person who has more money as a okay. percentage of their income. That's the problem with, with a consumption tax is that it's regressive. It negatively impacts people with less money. And when you take money from people with less money, then they tend to get angry. Okay, so you're more um, receptive to a flat tax then? A flat tax has the same inherent problems. And I'm like, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Like, I used to support a, a consumption tax, like a federal consumption tax. Because logically, you think the more money you had, the more money you spent. But in reality, that's not how it works. With a flat tax, let's say let's tax everybody at 10% or everybody at 25%. Mm -hmm. Is that as, as effective as a progressive tax? I don't well, think one, so because I don't think people with, like, say you make $25,000 a year and you get taxed at 25%, you're going to pay, you know... Or I'll make it easier on myself and say, let's say you make $40,000 a year and you get taxed at 20, 25%. Your take home is only going to be, uh, what, $30,000 and you're losing $10,000, which is more impactful than somebody making $400,000 and taking home $300,000. Right. Question though. One thing that we're overlooking is that a lot of the richest folk that we're worried about aren't even paid a salary. So we're busy talking about the, uh, the salaries and how we're taxing against it. Whereas a lot of them, they, they fall even... under capital gains. Right. And it depends on how that breaks down. Um, at least with the consumption on them, they're getting hit somehow. Another issue. No, now, no, 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 no. They're not getting hit because capital gains is taxed way lower than than income, than earned income. Capital gains is taxed at like 15%. Which, okay. Which means that, and there's a cap on, on that tax that can be paid. Hmm. Okay. So then if we're leaning into it, the only real resolution that you see for some of this is to legalize drugs to help alleviate the pressure from the drug running across the border, things like that. And to hopefully make, um, 
make it less profitable back home in Mexico for the cartels to be doing their business. Am I far off on that? I think I think you're on the right track. There's a lot of other facets within this and why sure. why drugs should be legal. Just from a pure pragmatic standpoint. Right. We tried prohibition once and uh, well, not, that's how we got the mafia. Well, not even that. <laughs> not even that. From a pure pragmatic standpoint, could the federal government make money on tariffs for for illicit drugs? Like, say they put a 25% tariff on all Schedule One drugs coming into the United States. Sure. Or a sales tax on, tax on the drugs when they're sold locally. And that's Just like alcohol. And that's what they're doing in California, Colorado, Washington, et cetera, when they're talking about legalized marijuana specifically. Right. That's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's increasing increasing revenues, local and state revenues in those places. Ironically, though, it's I'm waiting for the constitutional question to uh, come up and really be tested because you can buy some drugs in California, specifically marijuana, take it across the border into Oregon. It's legal in both states, but you just broke federal law. Yeah, that's that's insane. I mean, but it's real. It's real. And it's insane. Part of the problem within that is. I mean, there's so many issues with regulating interstate commerce in that way. Like, for instance, if California and Oregon came up with an agreement, like an agricultural agreement to say that all cannabis grown in either of these states can be freely traded between these two states, is that constitutional under the 10th Amendment? I don't know. That's why I I personally want somebody brave enough to cross the border. Or the 9th Amendment. I want somebody to break. I want somebody across the border, and this case needs to go up. I think it's one of the most perfect constitutional crisis questions. Yeah, it, it definitely is a constitutional crisis as to the question of states' rights to increase liberty, which is contradictory, you would think, because normally when states' rights has been bandied about in the past, it's about restricting liberty. Right. So it, it is really a, a perfect test case, and... I also feel like other states are slow to do it, not only because of um, conservatism or that nature, but truthfully, a lot of jobs will be lost. You can cut down your police force quite a lot if you're not worried about the drugs. Yes, completely. Prisons will be, you know, half filled in comparison. Technically, that same person that once was committing a crime is now just doing something recreationally and maybe working a job and paying a tax. Yeah. It, it's a trade-off. It's a trade-off, but it's a trade-off that I'd rather have than not have because it increases the ability of individuals to live lives the way that they see fit. Sure. And as long as it's not harming someone else. And in this case, I do think we need to look into things like, um, a better way to sense if somebody is, let's say, driving under the influence of a marijuana or a drug to protect others. I think that's fair, you know, to look into that kind of thing. I think it's somewhat fair because I I don't know when it comes to driving laws, those are that's where things get kind of tricky because, for instance, I ride motorcycles, right? Mm-hmm. And as a motorcycle rider, I have to follow the same laws as someone driving a car 
But yes. a lot of the laws that dictate how people drive are detrimental to riding a motorcycle, such <laughs> as like lane splitting is illegal in 49 states. Right. Try riding a bicycle if you really want to suffer. Yeah. <laughs> Done that. <laughs> but but lane splitting, lane splitting, especially at red lights, is far safer, sa- safer for motorcycle riders than it is to not do so. So it's efficient too. And it's efficient up and out of the way. Yeah. It, it protects a motorcycle rider from a rear end collision. Mm -hmm. If I'm a motorcycle rider, regardless of what state I'm in and my primary responsibility is to my own safety, I'm going to split lanes because it's safer for me. And sometimes riding faster to get around traffic is safer for a rider than it is to sit in slow traffic as well. True. So, and I'm not going to disagree with that, but circling back around, if someone is stoned out of their gourd and they kill grandma in a car, I want a way to test to say, yeah, you know what? You were stoned. That, that in and of itself is like, why should a... Why should driving under the influence and killing somebody carry a greater penalty than driving sober but being distracted and killing somebody? About the fact that it can be proven that they're not able to react as quickly because they made a particular choice. Uh, so like, so it's the question of choice that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, but you, people so you're choose, just saying, people you're just choose saying, to people choose to be distracted in a vehicle regardless sure, of what that texting, distraction is if they're texting and or they just do it, changing I still want the radio station too. yeah so so analogous to having greater penalties for say intoxicated driving regardless of what that intoxication is you know you'd put you would put impetus on on the court system to prove after the fact that somebody was impaired in some way, shape or form, regardless of what that impairment is mm-hmm. and yeah. increase penalty based on that. I want, I think it's fair for people who are concerned with, okay. Um, I can check and see, yeah, you were drunk. Okay. You, you did this while you're drunk. Now I don't believe in drunk driving checkpoints. Okay. Don't get me down that road, but I think it's fair to help get the thing, get the laws changed to where drugs can be legalized to find a way to test for it. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that is a very pragmatic way to look at it. And I don't disagree with that pragmatism. On the other hand, my heart of hearts says that any, any reckless or endangerment driving should be punished equally, regardless of the reason why it's happening. Mm-hmm. And the only situation in which it should not be punished equally is under extenuating circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I, I deviate on the other end of it. Like instead of saying we should punish people more harshly for driving while making poor choices. I'm saying if somebody makes poor choices regardless of what the choice is, they should be punished equally unless circumstances dictate 
Okay, well, otherwise. I'll just give you I'll give you a scenario. Um, because I, I have a family member who was in prison for it. He was extremely high on drugs and drove off um, the side of the road and killed some people in the vehicle. Now, if it was raining and his vehicle slid off the side of the road and they died, then I would say, hey, you know what? There were circumstances. But it was proven that, no, he, he was high. They died. He's liable. So it's a question of liability there. I would say, sure. I would say even if... My, my inclination is to say... If it was a situation in which, say, he was checking his cell phone or changing his radio station or was even distracted by, you know, some psychological issue and the same end result occurred, I would say that he's still liable unless we agrees. No, I don't think it's a degree. I don't think it's a degree. So if I'm mad at my girlfriend and I decide to go drive down the road and I'm not in a sound state of mind to drive safely mm-hmm. and I end up killing somebody. What, what is the difference between me deciding to have a few too many beers and then go drive down the road? The people are still dead and I still That's made true. a poor decision. That's true. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to prison. I'm, I'm also not saying that that shouldn't <laughs> so. be the, the issue. But then, then we get in the whole argument of sen- and there's always a degrees. sentencing, and the, well, the, of course, there's always degrees. But and we're also talking about we're also talking about sentencing, and you know right. what sentencing is. I don't think that the way the present prison se- uh, system is set up right now is conducive for the goals of what the what we want as Americans, which is low recidivism and lower crime overall. True. I think the now, prison system as set up right now engenders more crime. True. On that note, we're going to cut it short because I feel like we've got given everybody a lot to chew on. And I hope they come into the unstructured group. And that's found under Facebook, unstructured P. There's a link pinned to the top to go into the group. Please join. Please chat with us. Tell us what you think. Pick any part of this. I'm sure that I've said plenty of crazy things in here that everybody can attack. And Isaiah, I know, will be on there letting me know, too. Yeah. (laughs) So on that note, 